You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Hey, good morning, New Life. How are you guys doing this morning? Pretty good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. It's also good to have you if you're watching and joining online. I love this church. I really love this church. Uh, I hail from Sparta, for those of you that don't know me, uh, which is a decent drive north. It's pretty far north of Grand Rapids, so it's a hike coming down here. Um, But I love coming down here. I love making the drive. I love seeing all of you interacting. Uh, And now I can add chorizo tacos to the mix for what draws me down to Wayland. They were fantastic, by the way. So if that's not a great sales pitch to join the hospitality team, you're missing out. So I'm pumped to jump in. Uh, The question I want to ask just right at the top is this. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Matthew starts off his genealogy. I mean, we're at Christmas time now, right? We're moving towards Christmas. We're only a short couple weeks away. Um, Matthew, as he starts describing in his gospel, in his narrative of who Jesus is, he starts off, he doesn't waste any time. He starts off by depicting and saying to everybody, to saying to his readers, to saying to those who would receive his message, to saying to those like us who would read his message 2,000 years later, this is who Jesus is. And he starts off and he says, Jesus is a king. So before we even jump in, before we read it, I want to ask, like, has anybody in here ever even been in the presence of a king before? Of a king. Not, not like a LeBron-type king. Like, not like that doesn't count. Like a, like a king that rules a nation, who, who, has, who has a lineage that led to the establishment of his throne. You know, there's not even that many kings in the world anymore. I was looking it up. Even as of last night, I was like, I said that, but I should double-check that. I looked it up. There's 29 different positions all over the world right now of a person of king or queen or dignitary, whatever. There's 29 positions, but four of them have absolute rule. That means the rest of them, 25 of them, it's like they rule, but they hold a position that is also balanced and in check by another group, many of them like a constitution or a parliament or a congress. But, but there are four individuals in our world today that have the, the, the position of absolute authority over their kingdom. So I was in Oman, actually not too far or not too long ago. Many of you probably have never even heard of Oman. Usually when I say this, people are like, what? That's a country? It's a country, the country of Oman. It's actually right over here. It's in the Middle East next to Saudi Arabia, Yemen. It's across the Arabian Sea from Iran. So like, if that gives you an idea of where this place is, uh, there was a healthy sense of fear when I was in Oman. Uh, I was in a country ruled by a monarch who has absolute authority. There is a reverence that comes from being on their lawn. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're there, it's not I can do whatever I want. It's not I can say whatever I want. In fact, if you're there, if you're a resident of a, of a country or a kingdom with a monarch, you're not going to put a sign in your front yard that says, not my king. Let that sit for just a second. We don't have that concept. Right? We, we don't have that. If we don't like who's in charge, if we don't like the president, if we don't like who's elected to Congress, if we don't like, we just put a sign up. We say, nope, not mine. I don't like. I don't agree. I'm not following. I'm not, whatever. You don't do that in a kingdom. 
You don't do that because then you don't live in the kingdom any longer. They don't send you out. You just end. You're done. You don't think about that. Like, just understand here. So when Matthew says Jesus is a king, he's not saying he's been elected. He's not saying there's been a democratic process. He's not saying there's been a vote. He's not saying there's a consensus. What he is saying is Jesus is a king, and I can prove it. And that changes everything. So before even we jump in, I want you to ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Because who Jesus is has not changed. But whether or not you will submit to him, whether or not you will follow him, whether or not you will ascribe yourself and put yourself in submission in his kingdom, that's up to you. And there's consequences either way. Let's jump in here. Matthew 1, verse 1. Here's what Matthew says right at the top. It says, this is the genealogy, right? The genes, the gene pool, the lineage, the people, the ancestors that lead to Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, who the Jews were waiting for, the promised and chosen Savior, the one that was set apart, the one that was foretold for thousands of years before he showed up. Matthew's saying, this is the genealogy, this is the root, this is where he comes from, of the Messiah, the son of, everybody say it with me, David. My name is David, I love the name David. I think it's the best name, Jesus, and then David. It's like, right, that's how I feel, right? I met a guy named David this morning, we agreed, that's two for two. This morning, I love the name David. Every Jew reading this, Matthew was Jewish. He wrote to a Jewish audience. So every Jew that read the son of David knew that they were talking about King David. They knew. They were talking about King David. God established David's reign and his rule in the kingdom of Israel. He said, David, through your offspring will come a king, and it will, he will lead a kingdom that will never, ever, ever, ever end. That's what he says. That's what God said. That's the, the Jesus, the Messiah that he foretold. So when they say son of David, you can leave that slide up just for a second. When, when, they, when Matthew writes, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Matthew is starting right out of the gate and he is saying this, Jesus is king. And for all of the Jewish people, for all of the Israelites who were still under the rule of the king knew Jesus is the one. That's what Matthew wrote. But then he adds this also, the son of Abraham. Abraham was, was the ancestor of the Jewish people. In fact, Abraham wasn't Jewish. Abraham was a Gentile chosen to be the father of this new nation who would become the Jews or the Israelites. These were God's chosen people. Matthew is starting at the very beginning. And what most of us would see, like we're gonna read through the genealogy here for a couple minutes, uh, the genealogy of, of Jesus. In fact, if you've read your Bible before, if you've read in Genesis, or if you've read Matthew chapter one before, you've seen, this is, this is the part that we're about to go into that says, so-and-so is the son of so-and-so, who's the son of so-and-so, who's the son of so-and-so. How many of you, if you're just being honest, you're like, I just skipped that part, right? That's me, okay? I'm willing to admit that. I'm man enough to admit it and say, I've skipped that part most of my adult life. It's like, I just read, the, I, go, I don't need to know until recently, until recently, because for me, I did the same thing when I would watch Star Wars movies as a kid. Anybody else? It's like it starts and they just the, the yellow letters, and then the way that they did it, it just never worked quite right. So you have to read it, but it's in like 0.3 font, right? When you can finally read the whole sentence, and you're like, I'm just, just get to the movie. 
Just get to the fun part. Just get to the action. I want to see starships flying and, you know, the red bullets, that lasers, whatever. It's, I want to see the action. So many of us approach the gospel of Matthew in the exact same way. We say, skip the boring narrative, son of son of son of son, whatever. Skip that part so we can get to the action. But here's the thing. Matthew has baked into that beginning one of the most crazy stories and lineages and descriptions of Jesus and, and, and articulates his right to the throne in so many ways that us as an audience reading this 2,000 years later could miss it. We could miss it. As I've read it, as I've studied, there is so much gold in the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel. And there's three points that I'm just, I'm going to send you out today. This is a three-point sermon. Some of you that grew up in church, a lot of pastors had a three-point sermon. I don't know if I've ever preached just the three-point sermon, but I have one for you today. So write it down. If you're going to write down anything, point number one is this, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. That's what Matthew says. That's what he articulates. That's what we're going into. So Jesus is king, but he was also son of Abraham. So Matthew's screaming here, Jesus is significant. He is a king who has a kingdom. But then here's also what he says right after Matthew chapter one, uh, starting in two, verse two here. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was, everybody say it with me, Tamar, you're a Jewish audience, right? Let's pretend you're a Jewish audience. You're reading this for the first time. A patriarchal society, a society that does not include women in the lineage. Matthew writes this very specifically. That name, Tamar, would jump off the screen. That'd be a plot twist right at the beginning. He's saying whose mother was Tamar. He had no need to do that. So if Matthew includes it at the beginning, if it's part of Jesus' story leading up, it's significant. We're going to talk about why, but there's more. So Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. We'll keep going. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, or Salmon? 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 Are we in Wayland here? Salmon? We'll settle with Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was? Right? Are you seeing the highlight here? When you understand this, all of a sudden it's like, Matthew, what are you doing? This is a patriarchal society. This is a strong, grounded Jewish society that you're writing to. And it's, it, people are identified or people are known by their lineage, which is always recorded through the man. So Matthew, why do you keep bringing up these different women in this story? Let's keep rowing. Let's keep going. It gets better. Oh, go back one slide here. Go back. So Abinadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was, you guys are catching on. Let's keep going. Obed, the father of Jesse, who we've heard of. We've heard of Jesse before because Jesse is the father of King David, who does not hail from Sparta, but close. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Is this nuts? The more I understand Jewish culture, the more I understand Jewish society, the more I understand Jewish norms, the more I understand 
the setting and context in which Matthew was trying to communicate, the more significant this passage becomes. And it gets deeper, and it gets deeper, and it gets deeper, and it gets deeper, and it gets deeper. Here's what's so important. If you, if you just walk away with anything, if you sit with this, you, the question could be, why did Matthew include so many women in the story of Jesus? It's for, for one reason. It says, Jesus came not just for men, but also for women. Jesus... He was countercultural at the moment of writing, which would assume Jesus is coming in with the paternalistic, power-oriented authority that came with males in that day. And in Jesus' very lineage, he turns that upside down. And he says, I'm not just a king and I'm not just a savior for men. I'm a king and I'm a savior for women. But he gets deeper than that. It gets even deeper than that because there are some well-known, amazing, incredible matriarchs as in strong women that have played significant roles throughout all of, all of the, the human race that didn't get included in Matthew's genealogy. Some of them, I wrote them down here somewhere. Think about this though, like Eve. I know it's in here somewhere. I can't find it. Think about Eve. I'm just gonna go off notes. Eve... I mean, you have very beginning, Genesis, Adam and Eve. So Eve was not included in this, right? If you keep going, there, there are others. Brad, help me out here. Rebecca, thank you. I wish I could find this in my notes. There we go, Eve and Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah. That was a good test, Brad. You passed. Your pastor's awesome. Is he not? I'm not sweating up here. Rebecca, Leah, this is so important. A lot of these women in these stories are, are not like the, the shining best examples uh, of all throughout like Jewish history, or whatever. These aren't the stories that Israel was proud of. I mean, inside of the, Rahab was a prostitute. And that's included in the lineage of the Messiah, not just of the Jewish people, but of, of the world. Bathsheba was taken advantage of by King David. So yeah, David's got great moments and great pieces and, and highs in his kingdom and his leadership. He's also got some devastatingly low decisions. Sin, brokenness. I mean, took advantage of Bathsheba, had her husband murdered, and her name is included, right? The wife of Uriah. Matthew is being so stinking specific in the stories he includes because Jesus could have had a lineage that was polished, that was refined, that was super pure, that was perfect, that just led to him because he is all of those things. Jesus' lineage is very different. In fact, some of the women here, this is even more significant. Just the more I studied, the more this just jumps out. So Tamar and Rahab, Tamar, a similar story, was taken advantage of by her father-in-law. So, so these women, Tamar and Rahab, were Canaanites. They were from Canaan, which was, they weren't Jewish. Ruth was from Moab. So she was a Moabite. She, she wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile, just like the other two. But Moab was like a sworn enemy of Israel. Think about this. This is the lineage 
pointing to the king of Israel, the king of the Jewish people, the Messiah, what everybody would have anticipated is all of these people line up and they fit the mold and they fit the depiction and description of them. And it's different. They're, they're Gentiles. It's like they're not, the Jews so strongly believed that Jesus was gonna be there, he was gonna be the Messiah, and he was gonna be just for them. So when Jesus came, his ministry was so confusing to them because his ministry wasn't just for them, but it was for all people. That's why Matthew at the beginning says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing to all nations, to all nations. So God's chosen people, this lineage that even came from Abraham, God said, I'm gonna set you apart as my people to be a conduit of blessing." that the whole world will see how I am your God. I'm gonna treat you different. I'm gonna bless you different. I'm gonna open up the floodgates. I'm gonna give to you all that you need and so much more so that you can be a conduit. You can re-resource the world and point to me. Here's where the Jewish people went wrong is they thought it was all about them. They thought this river that was flowing was meant to be a lake and it wasn't. It was meant to go right on through. So Jesus, as he comes in, even in his own lineage, he's saying this, I am king. And I'm for all people. That's point number two. Jesus came in and he was a king and he is king. And he came for all people. That's men and women. That's Jews and Gentiles. That's young and old. That's perfect of which there are none and imperfect of which are all of us. Jesus did not just come for one group. He came for all of them. This is, this is what's wild. We're, we're only six verses into the beginning of the story. And Matthew's already screaming these from the rooftops. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus came for. Why does that matter? Matthew understood what it meant to be a Jew. For those of you that maybe don't know Matthew's story, Matthew was a tax collector. So uh, of that time, you know, Jesus came in. What's so funny about this too, I'm just back up a little. Even as Jesus chose his disciples, he did not choose the refined, top-notch, well-educated, white collar, what it... Jesus came in and he built such a ragtag group of guys that like it confused the religious order that already existed. They didn't understand. So Matthew's one of them. Matthew, Matthew didn't have a lot of friends. And it wasn't because he was awkward. He might have been, I don't know. But it wasn't because of his personality. Matthew didn't have a lot of friends because Matthew turned on his own people and extorted them for money for the sake of the enemy of his people. So there's, there's the Jewish people, there's the Israelites, and then there's the Roman government who is very oppressive. So the Jews, when they thought, okay, we're gonna receive a Messiah, just like so often people do, they read something that God promised and they apply it just to their current circumstances and say, God is sending us a Messiah to free us from our present enemy, from the enemy we can see. For them, it was the Romans. This oppressive, destructive, manipulative, gruesome, I mean, wicked, like, oppression of people. 
They thought Jesus is going to come or the Messiah is going to come and he's going to overthrow the Romans and he's going to make us on top again. That's what they were looking for. That's what they were hoping. Matthew sold out his people to be on the other team because he could make bank. So that's what he did. How it would work, I mean, we've talked about this before. I know we've talked about this before here, is if you wanted to be a tax collector, you have to buy your right to do that. And so what Matthew says, right, he makes a pitch to the Roman government who has the power and who has the authority, and Matthew says, I know my people, I'll extort my people, I'll get you your money, I'll get you your taxes, and they make a deal with him, and they say, anything extra, you can keep. But you owe us what you owe us for this particular area. So Matthew, as he's writing this, Matthew's a Jew. But he's a Jew that sold himself out to the Gentiles. So he's not really a Gentile, but they're using him, right? There's a money financial relationship that they have. And it's like, hey, we'll back you up. We'll give you power. We'll give you, we'll give you the big guns, if you will, to help do what we've asked you to do. But then Matthew's own people, Matthew's own family, probably want nothing to do with him. Jesus says, Matthew, come follow me. As Matthew writes this and he says, Jesus came, this is who he is, Jesus is for all people, that hits so close to home for Matthew because Matthew's got a foot in both worlds. Isn't it funny how different we see people when all of a sudden we realize we have something in common with them? Man, if we're not careful, I mean, even social media and algorithms today, whatever, what those things are designed to do, our news outlets, even our country, where we get our info, it is designed to create this echo chamber in which we live and we only surround ourselves with people like us. And we begin to make the same mistake that the Jews made, and we think Jesus only came for us. And Matthew is saying at the very beginning, this is who Jesus is. He is king and he came for, say it with me, everybody, all people. This is who he is. This is why it matters so much. I think it's powerful. The last one is this. So Jesus is a king. He is for all people. And then he redeems all things. As we are articulated already, some of the stories here that exist, uh, for so many of us, like we would see these stories and we would say, these stories can't be redeemed. How do you redeem a broken sexual story between a father-in-law and his daughter-in-law? I mean, think about it. How do you redeem a story where, where a king takes advantage of one of his men's wife and then has that man killed? How do you redeem that? I mean, we can keep going here. How do you redeem all of it? Even in Jesus' own genealogy, I mean, this is what makes me, it just makes me wonder. These are stories, I love that there's a rug up here. These are stories that we would want to do this. You get what I'm talking about? Do you have stories like that? Do you? Do you have a past like that? I didn't plan on doing this, but I just got this great idea. You know what this is like? I love your rug, by the way, Brad. There's nothing under there. You feel what I'm saying? Some some of these stories, it's like it feels a little a little weird, feels a little bumpy, feels a little interesting over there. 
I'm not really sure. Some of these stories, though, if I'm going to do it, I may as well do it big. As we read Jesus' genealogy, there's nothing wrong here. Nope. All the Jewish people, all the Israelites are like, Wait, you put Rahab's name in there? Yep. Really? And, and David and Bathsheba, the king that we love that we don't want to talk about, the junk that he did. We're, yep, yep, yep. Here's what Matthew did. Here's what Jesus does. Let's call that for what it is. I can fix that. I can redeem that. In fact, we're not going to ignore it. I'm going to make it my trophy. I'm going to make it my ornament. I'm I'm going to make this a testament to who I am and what I'm capable of. Jesus is a king. His kingdom runs the way his kingdom will run. We don't get to vote. It doesn't matter if you like it or don't like it. It doesn't matter if you agree or don't agree. Jesus' kingdom is, and it is because it is. And Jesus is because he is. Jesus is king, and he came for all people. He came for white people, and he came for black people. He came for people in this country and people not in this country. He came for people who are old and people who are young. He came for people who, who love him and can't get enough of him, and he came for people who have rejected him, and he keeps going after them over and over and over and over and over again. And here's what's crazy. Just like Abraham, just like the very beginning, he invites us to be a part of the process as his people if we're going to put ourselves under his kingdom, he says, you're, you're in David's kingdom, right? So David, David was a king. Jesus is saying, I, I am his king. But then he came from Abraham, of whom I made a covenant with, and I charged Abraham. I said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you so many descendants, so many people of which we are now a part of, so many people that are going to be a part of this movement of the kingdom of God that it's going to far outnumber the stars in the sky, and I'm going to bless them. I'm going to give to them. I'm going to shower them with gifts, with love, with my presence, with the Holy Spirit, with power, with knowledge. I'm going to give them all of this for the sake of the same mission that I have been on since the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, God created everything was good, and then Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, and there was division and separation. God says, even that, I'm going to redeem it. And it's in the person of Jesus. So I should probably put this back together. So let me ask you this question. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he a character in a story? Is he a friend? Is he a guide, counselor, consultant, a genie, or is he king? What I love about Jesus is he doesn't just come in and swoop in and go, 
I'm your king, do what I say or die. A lot of kings like that. A lot of people like that. Jesus comes in and he says, I want to tell you who I am. And it starts like this. I'm a king, I'm of royal blood. I have a family line that is broken, that's hurting, that's sinful, that's dirty, that has not hit the bar. I I come from that line of people that all of us have in common with. And Jesus says, this is such good news, I can be your king. And when we make him king, he's not just king, he also is father. He also is friend. He also is counselor. We get all of those when Jesus is our king. Remember the first time I actually understood that. I was in college. I grew up in the church. I know a lot of you probably grew up in the church. Um, probably a bunch of you in here didn't. You know what's funny? Just even in the church world, I often feel like different people envy other people's stories. That, that none of us are usually amped about our own story. We usually like other people's stories. Can you relate to that? It's like usually your story's better. <laughs> Mine is like, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, I always learned a lot about God, but I, I never made Jesus my king until I went off to college. And I, I want to say like I hit rock bottom. Things got hard. I, I, I never just like, I'm devastated and nothing. And it's like, I didn't hit that, but I remember wrestling with, I, I had to wrestle with the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Who is he? Because if the Bible is who he says he is, then that changes everything for me. But if he, he's just some guy or some prophet or some teacher or some character in a book, the implications are just as big, but just in a very different direction. So, so these three things, Jesus is king, Jesus is for all people, Jesus redeems all things. The one that I got caught up with the most was he redeems all things. That is so hard for us to wrestle with. So extraordinarily difficult. I have a past. I know what my past is. Don't you hate it when past becomes present? When it's like this thing that I wanted to leave behind me, it's actually still here. Sometimes it's just brokenness. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's struggles. Sometimes it's addiction. Whatever it is. What I love about this passage is Jesus says, I can take all of it and redeem it. That doesn't mean undo it. That, that means pull value from it. I, I can rejuvenate it. I can give life to it. I can use it for my purposes. What other king can do that? What other king offers to do that? You know, I started watching this Netflix documentary. I think it was Netflix. Maybe it was a different one. Um, just start, it talks about our earth and the planet. I'll invite the band to come on up. It talks about our earth and the planet and whatnot, and, and it basically shared a whole lot of information I was totally comfortable being ignorant to. 
You know what I mean? Like just, hey, this is how small we actually are, and here's the planets, and here's, here's all the stuff that actually rains down on earth, and here's the evidence that we can have of stuff that's whatever. And basically their whole pitch is like, do you realize how fragile life is and yet how ignorant so many of us are to it? That's like their whole pitch. They made a whole series out of it. It's really good, actually. I was like, I had no idea. They're talking about water. They're talking about where air comes from in our planet. They're talking about nutrients and life and what sustains what and where it comes from. And like, this is it. one of the things they did is, is they said, okay, hit pause right now and take a breath. So let's do that. Hit pause right now. Everybody just take a breath. Where'd that come from? Where did the oxygen in your lungs just come from? What did we do to create that? So often we forget the world is this, this amazing ecosystem that God designed. And it's different than, than all other planets, all other stars, all over it. Like it's just, it's, he created this. And then he says he created us and he looked at us and he loved us so dearly. He didn't just make us a thing that he can enjoy. He made us like him. It says he made us in, our, in his image and in his likeness. He loves us so incredibly deeply. And what I walked away from, like after watching this series or documentary or whatever, I am so tiny. Like they keep showing clips of like the astronauts looking down on earth. And you see storms that roll through. You see, you see uh, the Amazon rainforest and how it creates oxygen and then moves it over. Like it's this giant world of which God is creator over all of it. And I think, how small am I? How easy would it be for God just to go, you, you are so screwed up. You're so lost. You're so broken. You're so, you're just frustrated. You do the same thing all the time, all the time, over and over and over. How easy would it be for God just to do this? And yet what he does is he's like a good father and he says, come, come to me. All who are broken, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, all who are burdened, all who are hurting, all who are anxious, all who are depressed. This time of year brings up so much that none of us want to talk about. We just want to do the rug thing. Jesus is saying, pull it out. I'm king. Not for all people, I'm for you. And I can redeem anything. This is how I, I want to close. There's an invite card that Brad talked about. God is doing something incredible at this church. Do you know that? He's doing something pretty powerful. I love your pastor. I told that to you last time. I love your pastor. He carries a burden for you, and it's the burden that God has given him also for this community. Do you know that you could share in his burden? That you, you could actually come alongside him, you can come alongside Sam, you can come alongside their family, you can come alongside this family and say, God has given us a burden to be a river, not a lake. It's not about just gathering here and, and bringing and bringing and bringing. What it is is about going out and reaching people who don't have a relationship with Jesus who live in a world where there is no king, who live in a world where brokenness defines you, who, who live in a world where you must find your own group of people to belong. And, and whatever you do, whatever you screw up, whatever your past is, whatever your history, it can never be changed, it can never be undone. 
that is a world of chaos and darkness and brokenness. And God has been tilling Wayland in preparation for a work that he is doing. And he's inviting you to be a part of it. So these, doesn't matter if you're young or old, doesn't matter if you're broken and battered and bruised, doesn't matter if you're depressed, if you're anxious, doesn't matter, doesn't matter any of it. God is saying, come to me, come to me. You are my child. You're my children. I love you. I died for you. I am so proud of you. And I'm inviting you to be a part of the work that I am already doing. Who is it? Get super practical right now. Who is it in your life that doesn't have a king? Who is it in your life that feels excluded from this place? Who is it in your life that feels like their brokenness and sin has defined them? They need an invite from you to be given the opportunity to make Jesus their king. Let's do it. God, we just come before you just right now on behalf of Wayland, on behalf of this community. Just pray, God, that you would just work in this room right now. Uh, God, some in this room have, have removed you as king of their life. I just pray that they'd be honest with you right now, that they would ask you to sit on the throne of their life again, that they would remove themselves or they would remove money or they would remove their job or their family or a relationship, whatever, that they would remove whatever has taken your place and they would invite you to take your rightful spot sitting on the throne in their lives. I just pray for them right now. I pray for those who have never had Jesus as king. Jesus, you make it so easy to say, believe in me. Believe in me that I died for you, that I rose again three days later, that I did for you what you can't do for yourself. God, I just pray for those who have yet to make Jesus their king. I pray that they would do that, whether it's today or in this season or soon. Uh, God, I pray for those who are not in this room, who are not a part of this building, who are not a part of this church, who are not a part of your family, but, but need to be. And so I just pray for this group right now. I pray for confidence in them. I just pray through your Holy Spirit, you give them boldness. You give them courage, that you would encourage them. That this is your work. You're doing it. You're cultivating. You're tilling the soil. All you're asking us to do is to come alongside and sense where you are working and be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we pray for, God. We pray that you would lead us. We pray that you would lead us to individuals. I pray that you would bring specific people to mind right now. I pray that we would be obedient to you in sharing the invitation, opening a conversation of who Jesus is with people who need him. We love you. We thank you that you are our king. Thank you that you have included us, most of whom are not Jewish. We don't have descendants from Israel. We're Gentiles, we're outsiders, and yet you've chosen us to be a part. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. And we thank you for the redemptive work that you accomplished on the cross and continue to accomplish in our lives every single day. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said together.